Okay, um, so I'm gonna start off by saying like Romans 12:21 says, "Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing good." And we were able to see firsthand destruction, and we were blessed in that we could go and offer our support in that. Um, we drywalled, landscape painted, and most anything else you can think of when it comes to fixing up the house. Um, now, if the job was done well or not, that's debatable. But it was great because it taught me patience. And shout out to Caleb who's not here and John because I'm so sorry. We kind of stuck to them. But I think, um, what else is that out there? Now we're trained professionals in killing mosquitoes. That was really that's also fine. Okay, really though, this trip meant the world to me. Um, I kind of saw it as my last chance to do something with this youth that I don't know if I get the chance to. This is like my home church, and I love doing this. And I don't know. I'm <laughs> whether it was rebuilding our house or another different million things, we all have things to do in our life, and I know we're busy, but the fact is, down there, they have it so much harder. I mean, everything is destroyed on there, and their main priorities on top of a job and everything are fixing the rest of their house or fixing the yards. So if we got to do that, I'm glad I got to do that with you guys. And, like, we worked on a house for three solid days, and we got a lot done, but really you almost can't tell. Cause there's so much left to do. Um, but that's from the work aspect of it. I think what meant more to me was after we were all done sweating and taking showers in a trailer, we yelled at each other for all playing spoons, or we went in the like cuddled up together and watched a movie. And I think it really brought us all together this year more so than almost ever before, and I believe that. I couldn't think of a better group to be with. Um, I looked at this, like I said, like it could be my last mission trip, and it was life-changing. Whether it was our lives or other lives, it's amazing to see that happen in front of my eyes, especially with you guys. Um, so on behalf of the youth and everything, I want to say thank y'all. I can't explain how grateful I am for this opportunity and to have done it before. I'm really thankful for it. Um, I want to say thanks to John, Russ, Caleb, and Randy for showing patience like the best of them when you were trying to get a bunch of us little teenagers out there with screwdrivers and hammers, and it was really bad. Um, so thank you for that, and thank you, Jenny, for always looking out for us, and thank you, Jerry, for knowing how to handle a nail through a foot. I really appreciate that, because I couldn't have done it. And thank you, Brian, for being willing to lead the circus. Um, this is a trip I won't ever forget. Well, when I was told I had to speak at this, I really wanted to tell you no. So, uh, but I guess you got to do what you got to do. So, thank you, Ron. So, I'm supposed to tell y'all what this trip meant to me, but on a serious note, it meant a lot. It, uh, I've always felt that when a mission trip is offered to me, I've always been called to go on it to serve the Lord and others. And uh, this mission trip meant a lot to me because of the love that I've grown with my fellow youth and the family that we've become, and uh, we've grown as a whole, and we got to the point on this trip when we needed to talk about something, we'd end up making it a family meeting, and that's just such a beautiful thing, and I just wouldn't want to dismiss this trip with any other people. Everyone in this youth group has amazing talents, and the Lord says that to use your gifts through him and give him the glory, 
So we choose to use our amazing talents to do missionary work, and we thank him for letting us. This mission trip meant something to me because it, mission trips get you out of your comfort zones. And, and uh, if any of you know me, you know I'm not a very shy person, unless we're talking about right now, and I'm getting up here in front of talking to you guys, and I don't like that. But this, you could say this is still part of the mission trip, and this is getting me out of my comfort zone. And so uh, mission trips do get you out of your comfort zones, and that's a big reason why I went on this, to get out of mine. Uh, this trip meant something to me because mission trips create sacred space. And sacred spaces offer, or sacred spaces both anchor youth and their faith and propel them forward in their relationships with God. Even in times in youth, uh, or when youth, tr- like when youth have trouble, often point toward mission trip experiences and says, that signifies God's faithfulness in my life. And I always wanted to be able to have that, so that's another big reason why I went on, a, on this mission trip. The biggest thing I wanted to get out of this trip, and the biggest thing that meant to me on this trip was to be able to give others hope. And after seeing this hurricane and whatever happened, I feel like nobody could have hope again for what they went through and what they had. And so uh, so when I heard we were going to serve down there, that was my biggest goal. And I honestly and truly believe that uh, we gave others hope and uh, we built for them and just made their life better. Uh, but I want to thank you, Jenny, for uh, giving us a laugh when we needed it and bringing us up. And I thank you, Russ and Ryan, for y'all's patience with me. And John, thank you. Uh, thank you for Jerry with uh, all your nursing and all that, because you're a woman. Uh, Randy, I thank you for uh, teaching us and being patient with us and always cracking jokes with me. You're the real MVP. So I think that's it. Thank you. Thanks, Cameron. So as you can see, there was a lot of uh, back and forth. You know, it's it's... It was great to watch them respond to adults who affirmed them and, and offered them practical skills and emotional skills and communication skills. And it was also great, you know, as us as we adults would talk, you know, at the end of the day, just how much we were receiving from them. Uh, it was very humbling to be with a group of, of kids like this, and you know many of them, but, uh, you know, they the two that shared exemplify the spirit of the whole group. Uh, they got in, they got their hands dirty, they worked hard, they really did bring a lot of light and hope to people's faces, and it was great. You know, there would be people that had been sitting there going, we've been waiting, you know, since the hurricane for this or that to happen, and so to come in and watch it happen, uh, it was it was great, and you know, they were very moved by it, we were very moved by it, and uh, just a great experience all in all, and so um, being able to be the hands and feet of Christ together with your blessing and support. It was a really uh, beautiful thing. So these uh, these folks, they, they slept on church pews. They slept on a fellowship hall floor. They showered 10 miles away in cargo trailers. They uh, ate whatever was prepared for them by people who were there also volunteering to serve. They learned new skills. They did all the work that was set before them. Uh, some work they understood, we understood. Other work, we had no idea. We had a hard time connecting it. But the work got done either way. Uh, they sweat several gallons a day, each one of them, some of us more than others. Um, 
Not because we worked harder necessarily, but they think something's wrong with us. Yeah, y'all quit pointing at us. Um, but it was fast-paced sometimes and very stressful. Other times it was slow and deliberate and required a lot of patience. And uh, it was something filled with ordinary things, holding doors, riding in vans, uh, hanging sheetrock. And as Allie mentioned, it was as extraordinary as lives being changed. And so that's what the trip was all about. And what I'd like to do for just a few minutes is um, tie in a little bit of the spirit of, of what sent us down here, what motivated us to go, what we experienced while we were there, and just what we experience as Christians when we serve and the folks that we serve. And I'd like to tie that into our uh, communion meal that we're going to share together here in a few minutes. And so in order to do that, uh, we're going to read a story from the Gospels. It's there in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and the whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. He was walking along, and he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Levi got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many people that followed Jesus. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus heard this. He overheard the question. He said to them, Those who are well have no need for a doctor, but those who are sick. And I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. It's a very moving story, and it does remind us of why we do things like this. What would, why would we be silly enough or crazy enough to, to serve in many of the ways that, that you all do in the course of any given week? And it's a good reminder of the nature of service in the kingdom of God. But here you have Jesus who people have associated with a certain kind of people. You know, he's there to lead a, a religious renewal movement. They know he's the son of God. They've been hearing him preach and teach and interpret the prophets in unbelievable ways. He's been healing the sick. He's been uh, teaching in parables in ways that they, they are just amazed by. And then he walks by a man named Levi who's has a notorious career as a tax collector, which is associated with you know swindling the poor out of the very little that they had uh, and through the uh, receiving of taxes. So it's a lot of people would see it as an equivalent to a modern-day attorney, uh, someone who has that kind of reputation. And so that's, that's who Levi was in the community. And Jesus walks by and says, follow me. And to our amazement as a reader, Levi gets up and he follows Jesus. But then something even more amazing happens, and Jesus goes to Levi's house to have a meal. And table fellowship was and is one of the most sacred things that we have available to us. The people that we share meals with in our homes is a very intimate setting, and so it connects us to those people, for better or for worse. And in that day, especially, it had a lot to do with status. If you were in my house... It was telling the world that these are the people that I'm going to associate with. And I want you to judge me by these people that I have at my table. 
And so when Jesus is around a table with sinners and tax collectors, he is sending a message. And the Pharisees, the scribes, who are kind of the big guns from Jerusalem, they pipe in and they notice this and they say, they, they don't ask Jesus directly, they ask his followers, they say, why is Jesus eating with these people? Why isn't he just spending time with people like us? Why is he spending time with people like them? You know, and we dividing those lines like we all do. We have an us and we have a them. Why is Jesus spending so much time with them? And Jesus overhears the question and he answers it beautifully. Well, because those who need a doctor the most, they're the ones that I came for. Right? It's not those who think that they're already righteous, that they've already got it figured out, that they can save themselves, that they can you know, make themselves holy by their own works and practices. But it's those that are sinners and they know it. That's who I came to spend time with and to save. And so reading this story throughout the week and preparing for this and watching them, uh, it just reminded me that all of us have people in our lives that uh, would be hard for us to serve. We have people in our lives that are maybe on the outside of those status and social structures that we go, yeah, uh, I could go serve them. I could share a meal with them, but I don't know what people would think because they're not really the kind of people that I'm supposed to be hanging out with. And you know, it strikes me as Christians, there, there really aren't those people for us. I mean, anybody that uh, would, would tolerate time with us uh, or people that we could spend time with. And, and so Jesus, of course, uh, being who he was and bringing the kingdom of God in those places that people didn't expect uh, was a major part of his ministry. And so who are those people in our lives? Who are those people whether they're in another town or they're here in Sweetwater, they're in our own families, that sometimes we struggle to love. And we wonder why and if Jesus even would, would love those people. Um, and so uh, we talked about that a lot this week while we were gone to Rockport. We, one of the texts that we studied and just listened to over the course of a couple of days was uh, Paul's words to the Corinthians in chapter 13 of, 1 Corinthians, that we sometimes call the love chapter, you know, that starts love is patient, love is kind, uh, love does not envy, it does not boast, and talks about, you know, we can do all these great things for people, uh, but if we have not love, then it doesn't matter. I can interpret the scriptures in a beautiful way, I can preach the lights out, and if I don't do it in love, then I'm just a noisy gong. I'm just up here making noise. It's a very arresting set of uh, verses, but it, it just reminds us of some of the obstacles that we have to loving people well. And uh, so as we approach the communion table today, we receive the gifts that Jesus has for us. We are those that are sick. We need a physician. Our souls need restoration. Our lives need transformation. And so Christ prepares a table for us and he offers his very life to us and invites us to transformation. Because Jesus didn't just spend time with sinners and say, oh, it's cool, I'm going to hang out with all you guys, and but hey, let's all just kind of stay like we are, let's maintain the status quo, and I just kind of want to hang out, out with everybody. I just want everybody to like me and keep in there. No, he called the people that he spent time with to a radical life change. And so those sinners, those tax collectors, if they followed Jesus very long, their lives turned upside down. They were transformed. And that's the invitation that is before us. 
uh, every time we take communion, not just when we take communion, but when we come to Christ. And this is just one of those tangible ways that we have afforded to us uh, the sacraments that, that, we can, that we can do that, that we can practice this. But as we come this morning, I want to invite you to consider uh, some things or a thing maybe in your life that you see or have seen as an obstacle to love, as an obstacle to making room in our lives for God to do work in and through us for the sake of other people. And uh, I want to tell you, uh, just as we make this transition here, about one of the things that, be, that was made aware to me this week about my own life. And there are certainly others, but this is one that I just happened to pay attention to. And I'll just read the full length of this text here in 1 Corinthians. If I give away, et cetera, et cetera, let's see. I have not love, I gain nothing. So love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We talked about on the trip how, you know, Paul later says that uh, faith, hope, and love uh, remain, and, and the greatest of these is love, and how one day uh, when we're face to face with Jesus, whether we die and go to be with the Lord or whether Christ returns before that for us, uh, when we see Christ face to face, faith will no longer be necessary. It's the way that we connect with the God that we cannot see, and so faith will be gone. Hope is associated with the future that we don't always understand and that we can't always see, but a future that we know that Christ is victorious, that he has conquered, that he has made a way for us. And so we hold on to that hope as dearly as we hold on to anything else in life. And when we are face to face with Jesus, we won't have to do that anymore. We will know the future. We will see perfectly. But love, Paul says, remains. Love endures it it never fails it never ends that is something as humans that we will give and receive for the rest of our life on earth and the rest of our eternal life as well the giving and the receiving of love and so one of the things that paul says that love is not i noticed in my own life as is so i was looking at how that might be changed this week and i was laying in our in our little uh nice quaint sleeping area with all the other guys and um they said that some of us snored but i don't I don't think that's true i think i think it was pretty quiet and peaceful frankly but um i was i was laying there one night and i realized and i was like why am i so irritable why am i so resentful about this certain person and group of people and it's you know it's keeping me from really being present here and really loving the way that i love and and I thought of this First Corinthians passage, so I get up and I look it up and I'm like, oh great, don't you love it when you feel like there's some things in your life and you read the list and like there's two of them on there. Irritable and resentful. Okay, love is not either one of those things. Thank you very much for pointing that out to me. So I noticed that in my life. And so I kind of made it the project for the week to say, Lord, would you take away the irritability? Would you take away the resentfulness from me that I can be more present? to others, that I can be more present to you, that I can be available to the work that you want to do in the world. 
and it's obviously an ongoing process. But I think throughout the week I noticed uh, some change. I noticed the ability to focus on God and on others in a deeper and more profound way than I had when we started the week. And so we talk all the time about how God is a in the business of transformation. Uh, and it's just something that we continually celebrate. And where would we be without that transformation? We don't just go through the waters of baptism and then stay the same and just kind of idle along. But our lives are an ongoing journey of transformation into the image of God, where we are growing more and more happy, more and more holy in his image, and the joy increases in that. And so it may not be irritability and uh, resentfulness for you, but maybe there's some other things that uh, God has revealed to you in the reading of the text or some other way. And so I just invite you to be free of that burden this morning, to leave it at the altar when you come for communion, to ask God to remove that and begin a work uh, on you and in you that uh, that would endure. And so uh, as we come to the table, I just want to say thanks again to all of you. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's hard to even make a distinction anymore, kids, adults. I mean, we were all uh, one big happy family, as Cameron said. So uh, but to the whole team, to the whole family, uh, you guys are unbelievable, incredible, and I appreciate every one of you proud of you and uh, thank you for being a part of this journey with us so uh, all right. thank you for being patient with me and with us as we try to weave all of this together and sort of re-enter uh, civilian life back here and all the things that we have going on and we appreciate again everything you've done to make these kinds of things possible 